Welcome, welcome to worship. Glad to be together as we come round this beginning of our Lent sermon series called Cruciformity. Cruciformity. Uh, this will be the focus that we'll journey on for Lent. Lent being the season of 40 days or 46 days if you count the Sundays towards Easter. Traditionally, uh, followers of Jesus have celebrated this or, or, or walked this journey of preparation is what Lent really is all about. It's a, it's a journey and a season of preparation in, in anticipation of Easter when we recognize and celebrate Christ's death and resurrection for us. It's the, really Easter being the centerpiece of the Christian faith, the centerpiece. His death, His resurrection uh, is really the, the very center of it all. And so, this, uh, this period of Lent, oftentimes people will practice acts of self-denial or fasting or, you know, other things like this as a way of leaning into that season of repentance, that season of confession, and uh, as a way of preparing for the, 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 the pinnacle moment of Easter. And I've been thinking of, uh, as, we, as we come to this journey, and, 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 and basically the whole series as a whole is called Cruciformity, while this morning I'm preaching out of John 12, the next uh, five weeks or whatever it is, however many Sundays till Easter, will be in Luke's Gospel, looking at specific texts where Jesus calls us to a cruciform way of life. Uh, as followers of Jesus, the invitation is to a cruciform way of life. We'll unpack what that all means, don't worry in case you're wondering what that means, we'll get to it. But this, basically, it's, 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 uh, uh, the invitation for us all this morning is to attend to these things, that we might be more present and more surrendered to the work of God in and through our lives. One of the things that's been going on in our world, I don't know if you've seen any social media posts or things like this recently, around a move of God happening at Asbury University over in the US. Have you, have you seen anything like this on social media? I've seen a few people kind of nodding and, and whatnot. Um, and, and I don't know how closely you've been following it. Lots of people are like, you know, going back and forth on this and debating it and all that kind of stuff. Classic, you know, we try and interpret these things and, and whatnot. Uh, but I I've been really um, blessed by it because some of you will know that's actually where I studied. Uh, I did my doctoral studies through Asbury and so a lot of the pictures that I've been seeing are familiar places to me. I remember walking on those streets that are now just overflowing with people. It's so crowded they can't even get in. I remember all these places and, uh, and I'm so blessed by some of the reports that I've been reading where people are saying, hey, this is a genuine move of God. Let's not necessarily call it a revival yet. That's like, let, let's let history decide that because revival should spill out and make a, make a bigger difference beyond that. It should spill out in mission and it should spill out in this other outworking of God. And, and I think that's a helpful word. Let's call it an awakening. Let's call it a, a move of God, something along those lines. I think that's helpful. Um, I think it's encouraging to look and see. Um, oh, oh, one of the comments I saw from someone was, was saying, this thing is being stewarded and shepherded well by some godly and wise leaders. And I think that that is definitely true. You know, they say they might be unknown, meaning they've not been around on the, the Christian speaker circuit. You know, they're not at the big, the big kind of platforms and the big events and conferences, so people may not know their names, but they're not unseasoned either. In fact, these are godly, mature men and women who have carried a heart for the presence and power of God for a really, really long time. They've prayed for it. They've tried to facilitate and welcome and create spaces that are open to it and, and maintain this hunger for God all the way through. And that that, friends, I've got to just personally attest and verify and say, that was true of my experience. 
being at Asbury, the professors, the, 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 the pastors in the community, the, the, the people around there, the student body was a genuine sense of hunger and here's the thing that most encourages me, is they say, this awakening began out of a time of communal confession and repentance. That's what's kicked the whole thing off. Two and a half weeks ago, it was a normal chapel service, and at Asbury, that's required. Each day of the week, you go to chapel, you know, as part of your, you know, kind of university experience, and so they did, and it was a normal Thursday chapel service when the Spirit broke out, the move of God began, and it began as basically people responded to the Word of God in confession and repentance. And I've been seeing glimpses of this in our own midst and in other places and and I'm just really encouraged by it because I think not only does it align beautifully with Lent, this season that we're in, but actually it it illustrates beautifully what the way of Jesus, it illustrates beautifully what we'll be talking about over these next few weeks in terms of what it means to be cruciform. See, cruciformity is all about being conformed to the crucified Christ being conformed to the crucified Christ. It's all about a willingness to embrace surrender and sacrifice and follow the way of Jesus. What's the way of Jesus? The way of Jesus goes through the cross to the resurrection. The way of Jesus goes through death in order to get to life. And I think many times we love to think about resurrection, we love to think about victory, we love to think about life and life to the fullest in Jesus' name. Amen? This is all true and good stuff. But the way of the kingdom, Jesus says, is that we journey through the cross. That's how we experience life to the fullest. It's not all up and to the right. In fact, the cruciform shape is one that journeys down in order to rise. That's the, that's the cruciform shape of life and that's, that's, that's my hope and my prayer for this uh, teaching series is that for all of us, we might mature spiritually by embracing cruciformity this Lent. And that's, that's basically the title of my talk today, Embracing Cruciformity. Uh, and this text in John chapter 12 really serves as the foundational text for the whole series. We'll get a little more specific in Luke's Gospel over the coming weeks. But this will set the frame, if that's okay. It's kind of like the series intro talk. Um, so this will kind of lay a foundation that we'll build upon over the coming weeks as we journey through Lent. Uh, so let's take a look at this text in John chapter 12 and, uh, and, and delve into it this morning. John chapter 12, Jesus replied, it says in verse 23. Well, replied to whom? Well, if you look just a couple of verses before that, the context is set that he's not talking just to his disciples who have been traveling with him. He's not talking just to a Jewish crowd that have gathered around him. He's talking to, they said, a whole bunch of Gentiles, which symbolically in biblical terms, essentially you could think about this as representative of the whole world, right? Jesus is speaking to everyone who is around, basically is what's going on. And he says, Jesus replied, he says, the hour has Now, this is significant because several times prior to this in John's Gospel, Jesus has said, the hour has not yet come. He said the exact opposite, right? Like in in, in John chapter 2, he says, the time has not yet come for the Son of God to be fully revealed. Or in John chapter 7, where Jesus causes a bit of a kerfuffle and people are ticked off and they, they go to arrest Him, but it says, no one could arrest Him because His time had not yet come, is what it says in John chapter 7. Here, we get, we get, actually, the time has come. 
His time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. This agricultural metaphor that, that you know, if, you, if you're a gardener, you've got a bit of a green thumb, you'll know all about what, what's, what he's talking about here. I'm not particularly that way inclined, so I had to go and learn about this. But basically, the, the idea is a kernel of wheat, if you plant it in the ground, you let it grow, it, it, like, like it dies and it germinates and then it sprouts and it grows up into a new stalk of wheat. Go figure. With many seeds. They can then grow it. You see, you see that's, that's the idea. It's the cycle of life, right? It's the circle of life. One seed becomes many, and the same is true, Jesus says, about our lives. Anyone who loves their life, he says, while, uh, uh, but it, it dies, it produces many seeds. Verse 25, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. What's he talking about there? Anyone who loves their life in this world. I think this is like... This could be like one of the best, um, I mean, Jesus has a lot of good kind of summary statements, but this could be one of his best uh, descriptors, I think, of our cultural way of life. Think about it. The world in which we live says the telos, the purpose, the meaning of life is to love your life right? Is to make the most of it, is to experience everything and to deny yourself nothing, to open up more possibilities and options to you, right? This is, the, this is what the, the meaning of life, in fact, there's that saying, anyone ever heard this, the saying of like, oh, I'm just loving myself right now. Anyone ever heard that? Like, it's hilarious when you hear someone saying it. I, I crack up inside, you know, like, like they've done something that they're really chuffed about. They're like, they're really quite impressed with themselves. And they're like, I'm just loving myself right now. Wait until you see these scones I just made for breakfast, you know. Wait until you just see, you know, like I could use it after Sabbath when I mow the lawn, you know. And then I come in and the family and I'll be like, I am just loving myself right now. Have a look at that lawn, you know. That's a good looking lawn, right? I mean, that's awesome, right? Like, this is kind of the, the, the you get this idea where we just love life and we want to just, um, we just want to have every experience and opportunity and potentiality open to us. So the thought of Jesus flipping that upside down and saying, no, 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 whoever hates their life in this world, Jesus does the exact opposite. He says, anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Verse 27, Jesus says, Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And this, in a lot of ways, I think, is the key, uh, key, key text for, for this morning, where we see Jesus embracing cruciformity. He models for us what it means to embrace cruciformity. I love that it begins in verse 27 where it says, now my soul is troubled. That we see Jesus out of his own mouth. You can, you can, like, you can almost hear the vulnerability in his voice, in his, in his words when he says, now my soul is troubled. That right here in the midst of this difficult teaching, Jesus' humanity is on full display. That he understands what it's like to feel troubled and concerned in the, in, in the deepest parts, in the core of him. He says, my soul is troubled. It's the humanity of Christ that's put on display. And he says, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. 
In fact, he does pray that, doesn't he? Later on, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he's about to be betrayed and arrested and overthrown, you know, like, he, that's what he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, Lord, if there be any way, let this cup pass from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done, is what he prays. And so we see here this Jesus in his humanity living in this tension dynamic of saying, my soul is troubled, yet what would I say? Like, no, save me from this hour. No, this is for the very reason that I came. Instead, he says, Father, glorify your name. Not my will, yours be done. Glorify your name. Embracing cruciformity. He knows full well what's to come. The abuse, the torture, the rejection, the humiliation, the torment, the suffering, the death, the forsakenness of the Father. And yet He says, no, this is for the very reason that I came. I embrace it. Father, glorify Your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said that it had thundered, whereas others said an angel had spoken to him. Verse 30, Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not for mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. And we know, literally, that Jesus was indeed lifted up. The kind of death that he died was on a hill outside of Jerusalem, a hill named Golgotha. On the top of that hill, he was raised up on a Roman cross where he was crucified and died, not for anything that he had done or deserved, but for us. And it's an illusion here, one that John's already used earlier in his gospel, in John chapter 3, where, where it's a, an allusion to Moses and the Israelites in the wilderness, when Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness and said, everyone who looks on this will be, spared, will be healed of the plague, of the disease that was breaking out amongst the people of God. It's the same idea that everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus and trusts in Jesus for salvation and the forgiveness of sins will be healed of that sin disease that is killing us and our world. It's the same truth, right? And so John does this beautiful mirroring there that, that he'd already used earlier in John chapter 3. You see, sin is this infection, really, that just warps the, the landscape of creation and perverts every relationship and threatens to suck the life out of every good gift from our Father in heaven. And so to think about being forgiven is to think about being healed and set free to love fully, to know love fully. And, 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 and this is, this is it's, it's, so sin is this cruel disease, really, where it's basically killing us. Um, and, and, and basically, you know, the, the idea is that we, we reject it by embracing cruciformity. It's almost the irony of it. It's the paradox of it. It doesn't make sense based on the logic and the, the patterns of this world at all, the, the culture of this world. It makes no sense. 
But in order for us to experience that, we, we, don't, uh, we don't surrender for, to self-interest. Instead, we opt for self-sacrifice. That's the shape of cruciformity. That's the shape of the cure and healing. And possessing a cruciform cure to a cruel disease, um, in doing that, Christians are invited to follow their Saviour, their Master in this pattern of self-denial. And so, this, this, this story of, of um, enduring long-suffering and anticipating a future reward, uh, it speaks to our lives. Herman Barvink, he, he's, a, he's a theologian, he, he write, writes this, he says, to imitate Jesus is to enter into fellowship with His suffering, with His path of passion. And yet, for disciples, such self-emptying ought to bring joy. Sounds odd, right? This irony thing, because taking up our crosses connects us ultimately with the triumph of Christ. And this is what Barvink goes on to talk about. He says, as sharing in Christ's suffering is a surety of our participation in His glory. Just as we embrace cruciformity and we identify and join Christ in His death, then we are assured of our raising with Him and participating with, his, with Him in His glory, is what he says. Thus, there is also a participation in His resurrection and life, even for our mortal bodies. And so, from this vantage point, our posture as followers of Jesus in the world ought to be cruciform. It might look like on the outside, like we're in, being brought low underneath the cost of discipleship, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer might talk about. In fact, I'm reading Bonhoeffer through Lent. I'm reading his biography and then his book that was originally kind of published as The Cost of Discipleship. Now it's just called Discipleship and then Ethics and whatnot. Uh, I'm reading through uh, as, a, as a, just a personal study journey through Lent. Um, where, where he's, he, he majors on these themes of being brought low by what seems like the cost of discipleship while simultaneously, inwardly being uplifted by the hope of the resurrection. At the same time, there's this outwardly being brought low while inwardly being, as Paul would say, renewed day by day. That's the language of Paul, right? And this is the gospel story. It invites us as followers of Jesus to see all of life as a recapitulation, as a reliving of this Lent to Easter drama, where our present crosses that we bear are the very thing that take us on to our future resurrection. They are. This is the cruciform life. And so cruciformity in daily discipleship then shapes mission, for us, shapes the way we witness and live our lives out loud because we're, we're impelled outward in acts of sacrificial love to others. Indeed, the suffering of Christians in the church is, is like Jesus' suffering, vicarious. It's undertaken with and for the community for the benefit of others. Being and becoming cross-shaped involves patiently enduring the suffering of being spent in the world for the sake of the world, giving up our personal rights to see others come to know Jesus. And I think this is the invitation for all of us that, that as in Christian discipleship to embody a cruciform wisdom that enables us to thread the needle between those various competing interests motivated by a cruciform love that puts our neighbors first. So cruciformity is all about embracing or being conformed to the life of 
the crucified Christ, right? It sounds kind of basic, and it sounds like a lot of things, but it, but it actually poses a challenge, I think, uh, to a lot of the things that we've been taught, maybe even in church and growing up in faith. Like, like anyone ever heard, like in terms of the gospel message of Jesus dying on the cross, that, that especially Jesus dying on the cross, and anyone ever heard it kind of like in shorthand talked about in terms of, well, He died on the cross so that we don't have to. Anyone ever heard it talked about that way? He died so that we don't have to, right? I mean, this is common. And, 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 and on the one hand, it's true because His one life paid the price of, of, uh, for all, you know, for all of humanity, for all of humankind down through this, the centuries and for all of creation, out, no, other hu- you know, no other human could, could, could do that. So in, in, in one sense, yes, He died so that we don't have to, but in another sense, it's not actually true. And it doesn't square with the biblical witness where time and time again, the Scriptures call us as followers of Christ to lay down our lives. They call us to pay the price They call us to leave everything and follow. They call us, as Mark says in in chapter 8, whoever wants to be my disciple, Jesus says, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to uh, save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. You can't square that with this simplistic thinking of, well, Jesus died on the cross so I don't have to, right? It just doesn't reconcile. That simplistic, unnuanced, we need to, we need to think a little bit more deeply about it. No, I think in, in, in terms of, like, to make it more explicit, if you read through Paul's writings again and again and again, he says, like, no, 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 imitate me as I imitate Christ. And Paul was willing to go th- and drew all kinds of hardship and suffering and difficulties for the sake of Christ and for the sake of the gospel. That's the way of Jesus, the way of the kingdom. And, and, and even later in the, in the New Testament, in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. Christ suffered for you as an example He's picking up on the themes of, if you flip over from John chapter 12 to John chapter 13, he's picking up on the themes of when Jesus washed the feet of His disciples and they were all totally, you know, Peter was like scandalized by this thing, like, no, 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 not my feet, Lord. You know, he's like, no way, not even that. And when Jesus responds, he's like, no, no, I will wash your feet because you need this too. He's like, okay, not just my feet, then wash all of myself, you know, like, you know, classic Peter. And in the end of that story, Jesus says to His disciples after washing their feet, He says, as I have done for you, this act of service, this act of love, this act of self-giving love, go and do for others. And so Peter picks up in 1 Peter chapter 2 and says, this example that I've given for you, Christ's suffering, leaving for you an example that you should follow in His steps. I think Dallas Willard gets it right when he says, Jesus didn't die on the cross so that we don't have to. He died on the cross so that we might join Him there. And in joining Him there, we discover the way of the kingdom, we discover the truth of the gospel, we discover the way to life itself. This invitation to come and die, to join Christ on the cross. And then you go, okay, Clint, yeah, 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 I get that. I've heard similar things, that's helpful, you know, nice nuance, uh, that's, that's good. Um, 
But hey, tell me though, you know, this idea of self-denial and dying to self and, I mean, this just sounds quite negative, you know, I mean, my self-worth's already pretty low um, and you're going to just put me in the tank with all this kind of thinking, you know, is that really what you're calling me to? Is, is cruciformity just like this um, self-flagellating, you know, kind of like really just putting myself down over and over again, you know, that could just really take me out, you know, and I just don't know if my own self-worth could handle that. I get it. I hear that concern. But that's not what we're talking about here. That's not what we're talking about here. See, I think in times we've, we've adopted this idea that cruciformity and self-denial is a trauma to be avoided. Like, because it's hard, it can't be good. You hear it? Where does that come from? Where does that come from? Just because something's hard doesn't mean it's bad or wrong, right? Any physical trainer will tell you. Any dietitian will tell you. Where else in life do we allow that principle to play? We don't. Why would we let it play in our discipleship? Yet we do all the time. Oh, the cost of discipleship, the cost of following Jesus, that feels hard. That's going to require something of me. And I don't think, I don't know if my self-worth can really handle that call right now. I don't know if I really have it in me. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to avoid it or I'll kind of appease a little here and I'll avoid it. And we adopt these avoidance tactics over and over and over again, don't we? Where we avoid the call of Christ. At first it starts with avoidance, you know, and, and, and over time our avoidance carries the weight of formation in our lives and it cultivates habits of avoidance that eventually harden into resistance. This is the way it works, right? And resistance, when that settles into your soul, means that you become hardened to anything that God might say, hardened to any form of self-denial. And we think, you know, here's, here's, here's the truth though, friends. I believe that's a lie of the enemy that started you into patterns of resistance that may have formed into, or patterns of avoidance that have formed into, into resistance. It's a lie of the enemy that says cruciformity is traumatic. Cruciformity is fatal. Cruciformity is going to hurt you. Cruciformity is bad. It's a lie of the enemy. Let's name it and expose it for what it is and let's get it out of our souls. Let's get it out of our spirits completely because the truth I think is, and some of you need to hear this today, cruciformity is not fatal. It is not traumatic, this traumatic experience that we often presume and thus avoid or resist. It is the way to life in the kingdom of God. Now, that's not saying it's going to be all fluffy dice and roses and unicorns and, you know, chocolates. It's not. That's not to say it's going to be easy. Cruciformity, the nature of, you know, being conformed to the crucified Savior means life will be hard. In fact, Jesus said it. He said it himself. He said, my soul is troubled, right? In this, in this passage, he said, in this world, you will face trials and troubles. You will, right? It's going it's to be hard, but it's not going to kill you. It's not going to be traumatic. It's going to be the path to your healing. It's the way of the kingdom of God. 
And so the invitation for us all at the beginning of this Lent series, like I said, this is the series intro. It's the intro and the big invitation from the beginning of this journey over the next few weeks is to embrace cruciformity. Friends, may we be those who embrace that invitation of Jesus to deny ourselves, take up our cross, join Him on the cross and follow Him no matter the call, no matter the cost that's involved what does it mean for us, to, you know, to live this cruciform kind of love in, in real time? It's, it's, it's rooted in, in love. At the end of the day, you know, Jesus' death on the cross, there is no greater expression of love. There is no, de- no greater demonstration of love ever before or ever again in the entire world. Just, it's just not possible. It is the greatest demonstration of love, not just for people in the abstract, but for you. And for you, for you, for each one of us, He died in self-giving, sacrificial love so that we might join Him there but not stay stuck there. We might join Him there and then rise again with Him into newness of life where there is healing and forgiveness and we are made whole again. So cruciform love is, is that which is others-centered and community-driven. We've talked about this a lot already, you know. It's that self-giving. It's, it's putting others first. It's looking, and not just others in terms of the individual, but actually a whole community. This is why it shows up again and again through the New Testament, this invitation to care for, you know, communities of people, the widows and the orphans in your midst. You know, it's not just the one or the two, you know, it's actually the whole community. To care for the, your brothers and sisters in Christ, to care for the community, to, to pray for and bless the, the flourishing of the, the city in which you find yourselves, was, was in Jeremiah's words to the, the Israelites while they're in exile, right? I mean, this is, this is to be others-centered and community-driven. Cruciform love motivates people with status, privilege, power, and or money to be downwardly mobile. That's complete opposite to what the world says, right? You got status, money, privilege, power? Go get yourself some more, Right? Build on that, leverage that, increase that would be the up and to the right kind of thinking of the world. But Jesus says, no, 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 downwardly mobile. And he models it for us. This is Paul's words in Philippians 2, talking about Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing or emptied himself. Emptied himself, becoming like us. Downwardly mobile. Cruciform love attends to people's emotional and physical needs as well as their spiritual needs. We view the whole person out of love for God, out of, out of God's love He created each one. And, and so we, we view holistically people, you know, in terms of emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And cruciform love is enduring. We see it in this text in John chapter 12. Remember where Jesus says, Anyone who loves their life will lose it. Whoever hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Will keep it for eternal life. Cruciform love is enduring. 
So this is just a few, few ways in which we begin to live into this. And those are more general, we'll get more specific over coming weeks as we journey through Luke's Gospel in, in, over, over Lent. But here's the key I want us to focus in on as we come to close this morning. See, I really believe that a lot of us, when it comes to thinking about cruciformity and the invitation to embracing cruciformity in our life, is we are so caught up with that lie of this being some traumatic thing. And I just believe the Spirit of God this morning wants to say to us, it's okay. Trust me. Trust Him. It's okay. You'll be okay. That instead of, instead of allowing that to be the dominant voice, I think the key invitation from the Spirit for us this morning is to grow through our fears, grow through our anxieties, not, not, not minimize, not dismiss, but to grow through them. By, you know, those fears and anxieties of joining Christ in His death on the cross, that we would journey through those. That's the cruciform shape. That's the cruciform way, being willing to accept His invitation and journey with Him through those anxieties, through those fears, not stopping and stalling out at the bottom, but continuing on to hope and healing and forgiveness. And how do we do that? i got one principle that I hope will just hang, ring loud in our minds and our hearts, not just for Lent, but forever, is we've got to focus more on Jesus than on the problem. We've got to focus more on Jesus than on the problem. See, I think what happens so often when, when we feel like the call to self-denial, the call to following Jesus, and it's going to cost us something, we get so wrapped up and concerned in the price tag, how big the cost is, how much that I'm going to lose, how much, you know, how much I'm going to have to give up in order to follow Jesus fully in that. We get so fixated on those things that we lose sight of Jesus altogether. And then we end up stalled out on this journey down, or we become so resistant, actually, because we've avoided, 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 that we'd resist. And so we've, we've, we've hindered, we've not cooperated with the work of God and the work of the gospel and the grace of Jesus in our lives. No, we've, we've hindered it. We've blocked the flow of living water. And I just think the Spirit this morning, in His kindness, in His mercy and gentleness and love, is saying, friends, it's okay. It's okay. Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's wrong. Let's grow through those fears and those anxieties of giving ourselves, joining Christ fully in His death. Whatever that cross is, whatever that small death He's inviting you to die this week or this Lenten season, may He grace us with the faith and the courage to say yes and to join Him in this cruciform way of following. And may we fix our eyes so fully on Him that it doesn't even matter what's going on around us. It doesn't matter how downward it seems to go. We, don't, we barely even notice because we're focused so much more on Jesus. Friends, you've got to look to Jesus. Cry out to Him when it gets hard. 
call out to him when it feels like Peter, you're starting to sink below the water and you're scared you're not going to be able to breathe. Cry out to him. Gather people around you and ask them to pray with and for you. Friends, this is the, this is the thing about the Asbury, you know, awakening. I almost said revival, didn't I, after I said, let's not call it that. Uh, the Asbury awakening, right, is that these are people who have been crying out in desperation for God, in hunger and repentance, seeking holiness. It's a holiness place, like us, we're Wesleyans. We're people, we cry out for holiness. We want to be holy like God is holy. Make us holy. And the thing of fire is you can get burned and it can either, it can either like take you out completely and just like shrivel you into ashes or it can be like a refiner's fire that purifies and cleanses. I think that's the way, the cruciform way of the cross. You don't need to be afraid. If it's the fire of God, you don't need to be afraid of being destroyed into a pile of ashes. That's not what God wants to do. He wants the refiner's purifying fire. That's the invitation to the cruciform life. And so Christians, followers of Jesus, you are called to cruciformity. We are called to cruciformity. And we employ this logic of the cross instead of the logic of our world, instead of the appetite of self-preservation, self-exaltation, self all the self-hyphenated sins, <laughs> right? The pathway of Christian discipleship calls us to suffer, a posture that must shape our preferences and our responses. Such suffering may indeed be painful, but friends, take heart. It won't last forever. Take heart. The cross leads to the empty tomb. <laughs> We need not fear being spent in this world because we know this is not the last world. The best is indeed yet to come, as they say. This Lent, may we grow through our fears, grow through our anxiety around joining Christ in His death on the cross. May we embrace cruciformity and full surrender to Christ. May we embrace selfless and self-giving love. May we discover the way of Christ and the way of the cross, and in that, may we discover that the cross does indeed lead to resurrection, that the way through death leads us to life. And at the end of the day, that's what we remember every time we come to the Lord's table. Why else would we celebrate Jesus breaking this bread and saying, this bread is my body given for you, if that's all it was? Why else would we celebrate Jesus saying, this cup represents my blood shed for you, if that's all it was? But He doesn't. He says, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, it's in there, until He comes again. This is the cruciform way. Death leads to life. You can't have resurrection power and victory without a death first. And so friends, as we come to receive from the Lord's table this morning, I invite us into a time of confession and repentance. I invite us into a time of examining our hearts before the Lord and tuning in, attuning to that work of the Spirit within us. Where is the cross he's asking you to carry? 
today, this week? Where is that piece of self or that pattern of sin or whatever that you maybe this morning begin in confession and repentance? Lay it down. Despite the anxiety, despite feeling afraid, despite maybe our really good avoidance tactics. <laughs> to face it fully this morning and in a covenant moment together say, I'm not, I'm not afraid. I'm going to focus more on Jesus than how hard this might seem, than how much this might cost. I'm going to focus more on Jesus because only His grace will satisfy only His presence, only His death and resurrection can bring healing and forgiveness and make me whole. And so friends, as we come, we trust in that. It's an act of faith, isn't it, when we come to receive this. It's an act of acknowledging only in Christ's death and resurrection do I find healing and forgiveness and life itself. And so I'm going to pray and then I'll, I'll pause in a moment of silence and stillness just for us to center again and, and practice our own confession and repentance as part of our Lenten journey. And we'll trust that God will minister and meet us in that. So Lord, we do thank you for your presence here with us. We thank you, Lord, that you are always speaking and moving and working. God, far more than we are even conscious of, we know you are at work. We give you thanks for that. Lord, we thank you that as we think about cruciformity, you don't invite us or call us to something you weren't willing to do yourself, that you just call us to pattern ourselves after you, to follow the example that you set. And so, Lord, even though it doesn't always add up in our minds or make sense fully in our human rationale and logic, certainly doesn't square with the patterns and customs of our culture and our world, Lord, we, we choose to trust that you know what's best. Your way is right, is true. And so, Lord, this morning, we choose to embrace cruciformity. And we begin with this moment of confession, repentance. Lord, reveal to us those things you would invite us to lay down. Give us the grace, give us the faith to break through our patterns of avoidance to journey through our fears and anxiety. Would you hold us and carry us through? 